Tishik, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my name is Peter Sutherland. I'm chairman of LSE, and it's uh, an enormous pleasure for me today to welcome my Tishik, uh, Enda Kenny, uh, to LSE to speak to us. Uh, it's many years since we served together in an administration, but we did once upon a time. And for that reason, if no other, it's a particular pleasure to have my friend Enda here with us today. Um, Enda, as you all know, is Taoiseach of Ireland. Although you would never know it by looking at him, he's also father of our parliament. He's been in the parliament uh, since 1975, <laughs> which, uh, which really, really amazes me. Um, and he's been leader of Fine Gael, and, and he's been Taoiseach for two years. And no incoming Taoiseach can have faced the challenges, the economic challenges, that he faced when he came in as leader of our country. And we've gone through, in Ireland, as everybody knows, a very difficult time. But a lot of the auguries are now positive. A lot of what is happening is for the good. Our balance of payments is positive. And ultimately, Ireland is going to come through this. And his leadership and, above all, his ebullience in the face of difficult circumstances has played an enormously important role in that transition. Thank you. First of all, let me thank you, Peter, for your warm introduction. For those of you who don't know the gentleman on my left, he was one of the youngest, most um, able of our Attorney Generals many years ago. I went on to serve his country, uh, both at home and abroad, as a as a very um, progressive European commissioner and brought the, uh, the gavel down uh, on the World Trade Talks. I think after 16 years of discussion, he finished it in double quick time. So Peter Sutherland has been an extraordinary um, example of commitment uh, to his country at the very highest level. Um, let me say that I'm, I'm uh, privileged to be here at the, the London School of Economics. And I've just seen some of the archives from the British and Political uh, School of Economics, which uh, was uh, put in place by George Bernard Shaw, one of the founding, one of the founding members. So I just wanted to bring you a positive message here to London today, a message of determination, a message of faith, and a message of confidence uh, about, that, uh, that, about hope in our future and what that means. Um, this is the start of St. Patrick's Week Ireland's one of the few countries in the world that actually has a, a day uh, to itself, be it the, the, the Bastille Day or, or Independence Day in America. St. Patrick's Day has been a worldwide phenomenon for so many, so many years now. But because of the, of the way the world has changed with uh, digital communications, uh, this has uh, gone viral and global in recent years. Actually... It's, um, it's a fitting time, I suppose, at the London School of Economics to refer to uh, a, an issue uh, just two years ago when Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, or as we say in Ireland, in, in, in Gaelic, Bonry and Eilish Ado, say that to yourselves, like Bonry and Eilish Ado, is, the, uh, is the, when she came to visit Ireland uh, on what was an extraordinary visit, actually, where... Uh, the Queen worked so hard to make that a real success, and it was. And before she left, actually, she said to me, of all the state visits, 
that she'd carried out in 60 years, this was the one that she really wished to do, being um, a visit to her closest neighbour and to Britain's closest neighbour was a remarkable success. And actually, when you walk into government buildings where the office of the Prime Minister is in Ireland, you enter buildings that were begun under her, uh, under her forefathers, uh, which was originally the College of Science and Engineering. Um, so it's still a, it's still a, a, a very uh, important place. And she stood on those steps and looked at the coat of arms uh, of, her, of her relations and, and uh, I think was, uh, was moved by the symbolism and the importance of that. Um, she, uh, she addressed the Irish people um, in words that no English monarch had used before. And there are, there are two words there in the Gaelic tongue, the Irish language, which is achorda, which means friends. And she spoke in Dublin Castle, in the Great Hall in Dublin Castle, which is now used for the inauguration of the Presidents of Ireland. Uh, and that was, the, that was the, the hall that was also the symbolism of the colonial influence of the British Empire for many hundreds of years. Uh, and she spoke in that hall, uh, and in the context of her remarks she said, well, when you look back at history and you reflect on it, uh, some things you might not have done at all, and some things you might have done very differently. Um, and in that sense, she made, she made a real closing of a circle of history uh, with the Irish people, and set the foundations for relations between um, Ireland and Britain uh, onto a brand new level and a brand new plane. The, um, the, it was a case of joy, if you like, on, on, for people on both sides of the island, proving that relations had, brought, had been brought to a new plane and that people were indeed good friends and good neighbours. And the ties that bind us, therefore, are reflected in the meetings that are being undertaken here today in London uh, and indeed undertaken as part of the Irish Presidency of the European Union. You are aware that the presidency rotates on a six-month basis. This is our seventh presidency, um, and no more than any of the previous six presidencies, we want to run that as effectively as possible in the interest of making decisions, arriving at agreements that are in the interest of the peoples of the European Union. So it's uh, symbolic, if you like, for me to be here in the London School of Economics and also to be in London today. And it allows for an opportunity, obviously, to say a few words about the agenda that the government is pursuing, both at home um, and as presidency, uh, in areas that we, we wish to pursue very strongly to recover our economy's strength in the financial sector, economic recovery in trade and political engagement. So in that sense, this visit today is for uh, strengthening, for consolidating, and indeed, if I have to say, honouring uh, the British-Irish uh, relationship. Now, when I came here a year ago and had a meeting with Prime Minister Cameron down in Downing Street, we set out um, a statement of achievement for goals and objectives for the next decade. And I hope to go down there later this afternoon to review that statement, to look at the achievements that have actually taken place in those 12 months, and also to reflect on the challenges and the difficulties that we face up ahead, both as individual countries um, as two countries working together in the interests of both our peoples, but also as the, uh, as the presidency of the Union and how that will impact uh, in terms of Britain's contribution to the European Union and the, the um, issues that arise for many countries uh, as, we move, uh, as we move forward. So I have to say that I was um, heartened and indeed encouraged that substantial work has been achieved following that joint statement last year 
to turn what were concepts and aspirations and ambitions into uh, concrete uh, results. The um, signing of a memorandum of understanding on energy cooperation earlier this year is a clear example of uh, this welcome development. What happened here is that following our statement, we set out a program of work in the energy area and earlier this year, our Minister for Energy signed a Memorandum of Understanding with his counterpart here, Minister Davy, to allow for the prospect of the sale of Irish energy directly into the British market, principally from renewables, obviously wind, offshore and onshore, uh, and uh, uh, cooperation in the areas of energy development for uh, WAVE and TIDAL, which is a much longer-term project. Um, of course... Central to the um, relationship between the Irish Taoiseach and the British Prime Minister is the requirement to have uh, solid evidence of a peaceful and prosperous uh, Northern Ireland. Now, you are aware of the troubles that, uh, that were in Ireland for very many years. You're also aware of the conclusion of those troubles by negotiation and by agreement, uh, which was called the Good Friday Agreement, and upon which we, uh, the Irish and the British, are co-guarantors and it requires constant vigilance to see that that agreement is kept in place and that every effort is made to see that peace and stability and security are maintained and that there is not a return uh, to the dark days of the troubles in the 70s and so on. Um, just two years ago, the people in Ireland uh, voted in a general election and they gave the government I lead, which is comprised of two parties, my own party, the Fine Gael Party, and the Labour Party, a very clear mandate and a very clear majority to make decisions in the interest of sorting out our public finances, in the interest of making structural changes about the way we do business, in the context of delivering on the relationships that we have with our European colleagues to bring about economic recovery and to get our country working again. Uh, what we inherited was a country in deep economic crisis. Uh, 250,000 jobs had been lost in the three years uh, prior to the election uh, in the private sector. Money was hemorrhaging from banks, our integrity was in tatters, public finances were out of control, uh, jobs were being decimated at an alarming rate, and as I said, credibility was at an all-time low. So some of the practical things that we did in, in addressing these were to call back all of the Irish ambassadors from all over the world, call back the European ambassadors, or call them in, uh, to have a, a very straight and frank discussion about the decisions that government would take in the time ahead in order to rectify that international uh, perception. And because it is absolutely fundamental to politics that there be an understanding of, uh, of, of trust between leaders and governments and that you do what you say you'll do. And since then, government have been working very hard with the people in explaining to the people the scale and the nature and the, and the, um, and the challenge that we face and also the strategy and the plan and the timeline and the steps to see that that's implemented. So that focus and that understanding, but also that patience of the people is beginning to pay dividends um, at, even though the times are quite challenging. So our economy is now entering its third consecutive year of growth. We've made significant competitive gains with the prices and costs in terms of business falling back to 2003 levels. And our successful and a phased return to the bond markets uh, continues. 
And that's very important in the sense of an understanding of the reputation internationally that Ireland is a small country in a Troika program, EUIMF program, but making steady progress towards exiting that program and being able to go back to the markets ourselves as would apply normally. Um, during the second half of last year, for instance, the number of people rose over a six-month period for the first time in Ireland since 2008. Now I admit that people have emigrated from the country. Obviously, some leave for uh, following their own skills and their own nature. Others leave because of, uh, because of a sense of uh, no hope and no confidence. And they're the ones that really I'm worried about. And that's why it is critical that the decisions made are in the interest of the country and the people, getting the economy moving, and providing those opportunities. Um, so all of that is, is an enormous challenge of politics, and it's, it's, if you like, built on now by the requirement to run the presidency for the six months uh, for the, for the, from 1st of January to the end of June. So I actually believe, as do the government, that this is the year, 2013, uh, that we will exit our program towards the end of this year um, and hopefully enter the markets fully and completely and normally in 2014. Um, we've made progress, real progress, in tackling one of the major challenges that we face domestically, and that's our, our debt level. Uh, by way of example, we are replacing you know, short-term emergency central bank lending secured against promissory notes uh, with longer term, more affordable financing. This is a very important issue uh, in Ireland. This was a major step on our road to recovery, and that will reduce the burden on the Irish taxpayer. It will inject further stability and further confidence into the economy and sends out a signal both of understanding and acceptance of trust, but also uh, a successful conclusion to negotiations and agreement. So the reaction from business and the investing community, I have to say, has been very encouraging. And that adjustment, together with a range of other structural reforms, mean that our cost base has improved significantly. So that, in turn, means that we're now much more competitive than we were a few years ago. And competitiveness relative to our main competitors in the EU has improved by a measure of 20% since 2009. And that's significant for investors to the country looking at Ireland as to why they should invest there in the first place or not. We're ranked number one in the world for availability of skilled labour. We're ranked at the top destination country for foreign direct investment, and Ireland is seen as the most attractive country to foreign investors for investment incentives from the, by the IMD World Competitiveness Yearbook. So it's up to us, if you like, as government and people, with working with everybody else, to build on that opportunity, to turn that sense of sentiment into confidence, turn that confidence into investment, and turn those investments into jobs. At the end of the day, politics is always about people. It's always about providing opportunity for young people to open the doors to that great adventure of being able to discover uh, and to contribute and to change. So we also have been implementing a very challenging uh, budgetary adjustment of about 20% of GDP over the period 2008 to 2015, uh, with most of this already achieved. And we remain on track to achieve our target of having our deficit uh, down to below 3% uh, of GDP target by 2015.
15. Let me say to you that these achievements are hard won and they are not easy for any people to accept. But it has paid off in, in the sense that long-term government bond yields now at less than 4% have fallen from a high of over 14% just two years ago, which is a very significant statement about how the world looks at Ireland, uh, how the world looks at Ireland now. We've got to build on this new stability to, um, to get the country working again. See, one of the really big concerns uh, for politicians and for my government is the scale of unemployment. There are 26 million people unemployed in the European Union. 26 million. You have 26 million small and medium enterprises in the Union. In theory, if everyone were to employ one more person, you would eliminate unemployment. But theory is oftentimes not reality from a political perspective. So that's a concern, and that's not going to be addressed unless there's political courage, unless there's clarity and decisiveness in terms of uh, decisions made, and unless countries are prepared to rectify their, their integral problems or their internal problems in terms of their public finances. And it's, n it's just not good enough, and it's not acceptable in any circumstances, that so many young people have to face each day with no prospect of, uh, of employment, or seemingly no prospect of employment, and therefore their confidence eroded, and worse, their hopes eroded, and that turns to cynicism and anger and causes, uh, causes lots of uh, consequences as a consequence of that. So, for me, that level of unemployment is simply the major challenge of the European Union. And when you look at what's happening outside our borders, and I mean the borders of the Union, where 95% of trade will be conducted for the future, it simply means we must address our inadequacies, we must address our failings, and we must address the potential and the opportunities that exist out there for a union that has the, the most developed complex of economies on the planet here in Europe with all of that potential of, uh, of uh, 500 million of a market and so much more outside our borders. So that's the challenge of a generation. And it's a challenge to which there is no simple solution. But it's a challenge that requires political leadership to make those decisions in a courageous fashion that will allow for the many young minds that are here uh, in the London School of Economics and every other school uh, to have an opportunity to play their part, uh, to dream their dreams and to change the world with their creativity, uh, their imagination and their capacity to see that this world is never constant and that therefore it, it, it moves. So in that sense, we've, we've started to try to demonstrate that as a small country, our story is similar to the bigger story of Europe. These things can be done. These things can be achieved. These objectives can be attained. And in the last, um, in the last couple of months, we've had, a, we've had a, an increase in growth in the private sector of 18,000 jobs in the last 15 months, which is small, but which is significant in the sense that Confidence returns, therefore, to business. Now, I just left the British-Irish Chamber of Commerce, uh, where they've set up an engagement in the last two years, which is, which is very energetic and very vibrant. And when you consider 
that Ireland and Britain and Britain and Ireland are closest neighbours, biggest trading partners, the opportunity for connection, for communication, for expansion, for change of direction, for involvement is so strong uh, that these things, uh, these things are, are, um, are, are there to be worked upon. And that's one of the reasons why at the European Council meetings certainly was, was my privilege uh, to be one of those who contributed strongly uh, to the requirement to address the scourge of unemployment among young people across the Union. And that's why in the multi-annual financial framework, or the budget as it's called, from 2014 to 2020, there is an inclusion in there of 6 billion euro for countries where unemployment exceeds 25% uh, for young people. And that means that uh, this cannot be, uh, cannot be put into effect until the budget is actually adopted. Now, you are aware that from the Lisbon Treaty days that the European Parliament has to give its consent and its authority and its approval to the budget, and that's right and rightly so, because these are the elected members of the peoples of the, uh, of the Union. So the, the presidency, which we now hold until the end of June, has got the requirement to negotiate and discuss and assess with the European Parliament the consequences of the decision of the European Council. In other words, can we get agreement from the European Parliament to uh, endorse and adopt the um, budget put in train by the European Council? And clearly, with so many sectors, so many divergent views, so many politicians in the Parliament, and the fact that elections are coming next year, this is not an easy proposition either. So in, in the context of own resources or flexibility or the, the prospect of, um, of a medium review halfway through because you never know the state that economies will be in in 2020. These are the areas where Ireland's presidency has to work with the sectors, the permanent representation of officials in Brussels and right up to European Council level to make those decisions. It's important that they be made, and I expect that they will be achieved during Ireland's presidency, because that means then that the 70 pieces of legislation which must be dealt with, from the digital market to recognition of professional qualifications, implementation of the youth guarantee for employment, reform of the common agricultural policy, and so many other areas, can then be worked on in parallel and can be set in train, uh, can be set in train when Ireland's presidency concludes. We've made some progress in this regard, even though the budget hasn't been finally adopted by the European Parliament yet. We've had agreement on the two-pack legislation, which is for greater scrutiny and involvement in terms of budgets being drawn up. It means that our budget, which used to take place in December, will now take place on the 15th of October this year, which allows for you know, greater transparency and accountability in all of these things. We have had a breakthrough on the CRD4 in terms of banks and bank payments and supervision and so on, the signing of the International Patent Court Agreement, and crucially, as I said, agreement on the youth guarantee. So our seventh presidency, we want to see that it's run effectively in the interests of the peoples of the European Union to prove that politicians at leadership level can actually make strides in terms of agreeing uh, green decisions and move on. So the three pillars of our presidency have been stability, jobs and growth. And I think these are accepted by all political leaders of all 27 <coughs> as being crucial uh, for the development of the, of the Union in the time ahead. So we believe clearly that um, 
that, you know, central to all of this is a strong and cohesive European Union. And these, these are economic interests, but there's also access to the single market, um, policy issues, business and social interests that are affected by legislation. These are matters of importance to us. So our focus on stability will help secure and build a secure foundation for renewed economic growth and job creation uh, across the Union. In a globalized economy in which we're now in, purely national responses are not good enough anymore. We are all dependent and all interdependent. I was at a science, um, a science uh, seminar in Brussels last week. Um, for our country as a small country, we now have 2,000 experts in different fields working with 68 countries on international and global responses in the area of, uh, of science, of uh, software, of robotics, of uh, health, the complexity of aging societies, the cost of dealing with health care as populations live longer and as populations increase in the times ahead. So on top of that, a well-regulated and a well-functioning financial sector is clearly crucial uh, to Europe's future economic growth. And that's why making progress on the proposals for banking union is a major priority for Ireland during our presidency. So we are pleased that in recent weeks we did reach agreement with the European Parliament on the uh, Capital Requirements Directive, as I said, CRD. When that's implemented, it will ensure that European banks have enough capital on reserve, that they hold enough capital, and that it's of sufficiently high quality to withstand any future economic or financial shocks. That was part of the problem uh, with the catastrophe that afflicted Ireland a number of years ago. The next task in that area will be to uh, have agreement and secure agreement on the establishment of a, a single supervisor, which is absolutely critical to facilitate the bank recapitalization directly uh, of banks across Europe by the European Stability Mechanism. You are aware that on the 29th of June last year, the European Council made a decision to break the link between sovereign debt and bank debt, and that that would hold out the possibility of recapitalization of banks directly by the European Stability Mechanism. Um, so what we want to see uh, through the Irish Presidency is that EU governments undertake the necessary reforms uh, to restore fiscal health, to strengthen budgetary discipline, and to support uh, reforms so that we can all focus on the delivery of smart and sustainable jobs uh, and which creates all that, uh, which is uh, growth itself. Uh, completing the single market, removing barriers to business, increasing trading opportunities, improving competitiveness, these are all critical to uh, improving the environment for growth and jobs. And the next phase of Europe's recovery will involve modernizing that same single market to reflect the way that we now live thanks to the uh, technology that has evolved in what is now known as the digital single market. And the, the theory there is that if you manufacture in Scotland, you can export to any country uh, within that market without restriction. And there have been lots of complications about this. The single patent issue was debated for 20 years, was practically concluded during the Danish and Cypriot presidencies, was finally signed off during the uh, early part of, of this presidency, and everybody, I think, has welcomed that. And those 
countries who made lots of uh, very difficult negotiations over the years are to be thanked indeed. Um, as I said, the Irish presidency has brokered agreement with the Parliament on the two-pack of economic surveillance and governance measures. That's aimed at providing early warning and intervention to prevent a reoccurrence of the crisis that affected us before. This crisis is not over. It's not over. Uh, but the euro and the EU are certainly in calmer waters uh, than they were even a year ago. But that means that there is absolutely no room for any complacency, nor indeed is there any time to waste. Now, later this week, the European Council at its spring meeting uh, will meet to assess the progress made by the member states under what is called the European Semester Process. The Irish Presidency has committed itself to make advances on the external trade agenda so that exporters across the European Union can access new markets and develop their businesses. This is so important for business in Britain, for business in Ireland, for business across not only Europe but across the world. You are aware that there was a high-level report published on the possibility and the potential between, uh, between Europe and the US if you were to have, if you were to have uh, much, greater, uh, much greater freedom of trade. And that report recommended strongly that this should be pursued. Uh, I'm very happy that Europe responded positively. I'm very happy that President Obama referred directly to this in his State of the Union address recently. And it's, I'm looking forward to Ireland during our presidency receiving a mandate so that those discussions can begin very shortly after the Irish presidency ends. The reason it will take that long is that there is a process in the United States of 90-day notice to the various authorities before this can actually commence. So we would hope during our presidency to start that process. We've no doubt that it means that uh, the capacity and the potential for several million jobs are there, both for Europe and for, for the US, with also the capacity to you know, raise uh, economies by 2-3% uh, over a period of time. So, as I said, the European Parliament has to give its consent to the uh, multi-annual financial framework, and that's an issue that, uh, that, that, that we want to pursue very strongly in the time ahead. So we joined the European Union 40 years ago, 40 years ago this year, um, and as this is the year of the citizen, you know, if you were to look at the situation that applied in our country 40 years ago, we were small, internally focused, uh, very much uh, losing out on the potential that existed. Uh, and through all of those years since joining the European Economic Community and the Common Market and the European Union, the contribution from other European countries through the Social Fund, the Cohesion Fund, the Structural Fund, the common agricultural policy has literally transformed Ireland to the country that it is today. We've got over a thousand multinationals in the country, each with its own specific remit. They're now developing clusters where there's enormous energy, creativity and imagination that is literally uh, developing the world as it changes before us. And so many of those are young people who are absolutely thrilled and encouraged and challenged uh, by the bewildering speed at which the world is changing uh, and has to change. And in that sense, the European Union has been exceptionally uh, strong and uh, beneficial to us. I might just say this. Um, I know that I don't speak for the British government, nor do I speak for the British Parliament, nor for the British people. 
But we've made it perfectly clear that we regard uh, Britain's contribution to the European Union as being of exceptional importance. Britain was a founder member of the single market and Britain stands to gain enormously uh, by being able to continue with that and by being able to avail as a driving force on those trade talks, for instance, between the European Union and the United States. And I share the British Prime Minister's view, David Cameron's view, that Britain should uh, continue to remain a member of the European Union. But as I say, I don't speak either for the Parliament or for the British people. For our part, we regard that as being exceptionally strong. Our links with Britain, closest neighbour, biggest trading partner, uh, over and back across the Irish Sea uh, on an hourly basis and on a daily basis. At the same time, the Irish people voted 60-40 in favour of the Fiscal Stability Treaty and we believe our link to the Euro uh, is very important uh, in terms of the future development of the Eurozone and the European Union as a whole. In that sense, we want to keep both of these avenues wide open for trade and for business and that's why in our presidency we work very hard with all our colleagues to see that decisions are made, that agreements are arrived at, that are in the interest of the peoples of the European Union, uh, including Britain, the Eurozone the Union, and beyond. So I, I see really, I see no time to waste at all here. Uh, and I also see real opportunities um, out there in the global world, which as I say is changing at bewildering speed that we can avail of. So for, you, for all of you uh, young, young minds who are here, I like to think that you know, politics will work in the interest of making decisions for countries that are well run, where competency exists, where public finances do not run out of control, and that therefore within, the, within that range uh, that all those young minds can create a future which will provide peace and prosperity and sustainability, not to say a measure of happiness, enjoyment for our common humanity that lies up ahead. I hope, Peter, that in the next 30 years, many of the people I'm looking at up here, through the London School of Economics, will go on to play their part in the development of their individual economies and their country in the greater world, just as you did, sir, in your time when you emerged as a bright young mind in the legal field so many years ago and went on to play your part for, uh, for your country and for your, and for your union. Thanks very much for the opportunity to say a few words. I hate this next bit so much that I forgot to say it at the outset, and that is that the hashtag for this day's for today's event is Hatch LSE Ireland for those to whom that has relevance. <laughs> <coughs> now, after that, after that splendid address, I want to open this up for Q and A. And those who wish to raise questions, raise their hands, and I'm going to start with this lady at the back. If you would identify the organization or association that you have also. Uh, hello, my name's Shadia Nasrallah. I'm here for Reuters. And I have a question um, for, for you, uh, Mr. Kenny. Uh, so you talk about uh, Ireland returning to um, the markets normally in, in a normal and successful way. And there have been reports about a new 10-year bond issue that might come this week. Can you confirm this? Is this true? I take a question here now. I'm going, to, I'm going to bundle questions, which always gives, gives the answerer the opportunity, as I know from experience, to avoid some of them, but that is not to be expected. 
Thank you. Yes. Uh, John Ewan, uh, graduate of London University. Uh, my question is quite simply, how can the Eurozone avoid um, a repetition of the terrible trauma it's endured in the last three or four years? At the very back. Uh, thank you very much for your talk, Mr. My name is Feng Xue from China Business News. My question is, uh, uh, since a couple of years ago, your government initiated a scheme which allows uh, nationals from emerging markets like Russia and China coming to the uh, coming to the airline to, to for holiday with uh, without a, a visa if they get a, a, a UK visa before, but that scheme does not include uh, the, the, those nationals uh, living in the United Kingdom as a professional or students. I mean, do, w w why I mean, that scheme does not include those group of people? And uh, do you think is it feasible for the, the countries in continental Europe, I mean the Schengen area, to open the door for the travelers I mean, from the emerging market who are living, currently living in the, in, in, in the United Kingdom or the airlines? I mean, uh, may I ask another question? No, you may not. <laughs> Thank you very much. This gentleman here. Uh, Nick Bosenkett, uh, Professor of Health Policy at the Imperial College. Inevitably, there have been some traumatic changes affecting the Irish health service in the last uh, three years. Uh, what do you see as the uh, uh, pace and uh, possibility for improving the situation, improving the service over the next few as recovery continues? I speak as somebody from the Huguenot community, which is uh, well established in Dublin. Absolutely, I'm delighted. I'm not answering any of these questions. Tisha, would you would you like to would you like to answer them? Maybe I should leave them to you. You've answered uh, awkward questions before. Uh, is there going to be a ten-year bond this week? Uh, well, the position here is that um, the National Treasury Management Agency uh, have. Um, gotten back into a situation where they, uh, they um, sell paper every month on a small rate basis. Uh, for a country to be deemed to be back in the markets on a full-time basis, it would require uh, two second issuances of nine or ten year bonds. Um, I don't uh, believe that that's envisaged this week and it is a matter for the National Treasury Management Agency itself. They make their own decisions in this regard, depending on their view of the uh, market potential as it, as it comes in. So they are back in a way where we've had, um, we've had increased, um, increased uh, confidence from both rating agencies with some slight adjustment, um, certainly very strong line of investment into the country, a very strong business and economic reaction to the uh, to the situation insofar as the promissory notes were concerned, the sale of Irish life and the sale of um, cocos and so on. So NTMA will make their own decision in regard to uh, longer-term bonds in due course. But as I say, we expect to exit the programme this year to be back in the markets uh, fully next year. Um, how, can the, how can the Eurozone avoid um, problems that were... That were happened in the past, you just understand this, um, in the way Ireland's situation evolved uh, with, um, for a variety of reasons, we were required to borrow 64 billion um, and the tools and the mechanics that are there now to deal with 
crisis, um, crisis um, these days were not available then. So that's been a very difficult challenge for Irish people to have to bear for those years. Um, and that was because of the, of the attitude at the time of um, Frankfurt in terms of the ECB, um, and uh, Ireland had to, had, had to carry that burden. And that's why it's taken quite some time to build that sense of trust with other leaders and other institutions uh, that Ireland is serious about its business and uh, that it will do what it says it will do. And the promissory notes deal, therefore, was, uh, of, uh, was of very considerable importance, which requires us to borrow 20 billion less than was originally assessed over the next 10 years. Um, and clearly, the decision of the 29th of June of last year also required some difficult negotiations, not just for Ireland but for other countries. And that's why it's important that just because Ireland's not mentioned in the context of financial crisis every day now, people shouldn't forget that this is exceptionally challenging on our people and that the support and the assistance um, that, that has been committed to by our European colleagues should be seen to follow through. And those discussions are currently underway in the context of the Ministers for Finance. How can these things be avoided? It means that governments have got to have the courage to work with their people in explaining the scale and the nature of the difficulty and the strategy and the plan to deal with it. People will respond if they see example from the top, if they see step-by-step -step progress being made, and if people can have the confidence to point out that the way ahead, while challenging, is rewarding when it is sorted out, and that's required from other countries. The visa situation uh, that you asked for, um, in regard to this, uh, Ireland's, Ireland's been very willing to look at flexibility in terms of um, in terms of visa changes. We recognize the connections that we have with countries that are very far away. We also recognize that, for instance, uh, Chinese people are now beginning to move abroad in much bigger numbers, and that therefore uh, the situation and decision taken was that if they were to arrive in Britain um, and, and um, touch soil in Britain, that they could come to Ireland for that purpose without a visa. But this is, a, this is something that's in a state, of, um, a state of constant change, and we look at that in the, in, the, in the context of investment in the country, not as a sale of, uh, of, of visas, but for opportunities to do business with a country that's very different. The health service, this has been not just, the, not just a trouble for Ireland, but a trouble for so many other countries around the world. And when you look at the, um, the scale and phenomenon of ageing societies, where people, babies now being born, will... Uh, well, many of them will live to be 110, 120 years. The population growing at the rate it's growing. No country is going to be able to withstand the scale of, um, of investment required to deal with all of this. That's why we have to be interdependent and interconnected. And that's why in our country, for instance, we know now that there is a, there is a 250,000 diabetics <coughs> coming down the track. Most of this can be prevented by, you know, uh, diet, exercise, activity, better information. The same applies worldwide. So in that sense, uh, health is something that, that needs to be changed intrinsically in the way it's been traditionally delivered. For us, we want to move to very strong primary care centres where people won't have to go to hospital in the first place. Secondly, that where people are ageing, that they should be maintained in their communities with services provided for them uh, as close to them as possible for as long as they can be maintained within their communities, in fact, in their own homes, 
Uh, and thirdly, we hope to move to a universal health insurance system where competition applies by the end of this administration, where everybody is treated uh, the same based on their medical requirements as distinct from what they've got in their pocket. Uh, it's not uh, un unusual to Ireland. Uh, there are different health systems applicable in different countries. They're all costly. At the end of the day, uh, the impact of it should be to give people the best treatment um, for their medical requirements as close to them as you can. Next question, please. Um, I'll take the back, the man at the back, glasses, yeah. Um, thank you very much. Uh, Paul Hannan from the Wall Street Journal. Um, just wondering about where you see uh, the commitment to austerity in the Eurozone being at this moment in time. I mean, you've made it very clear you're going to stick to your targets. Uh, we have a budget coming up in this country in which um, one, one expects that they will do the same. But in, in the Eurozone as a whole, it looks like that is shifting somewhat. The French and, and the Dutch want to take another year. Uh, Italian voters clearly have their views about things. Um, why, why has it been possible for Ireland to do it and not others? And do you think it's a bad idea to let this slippage begin, particularly in you know, relatively big economies like the Netherlands or France? I'm going to take two more. This man in the front here and down here in the front row. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Ken. I was glad you mentioned the agreement reached on the national financial framework. But obviously, we mentioned as well the decision that has to be uh, adopted by the European Parliament. What do you think of the decision by a number of the political groups, including the EPP, and that they recommend rejecting the Natasha Bunch Do you think this is a responsible decision? This man up here with the uh, beard. <laughs> sometimes it pays off. It does sometimes. <laughs> Michael McGough. Um, today is Commonwealth Day. Um, I just wondered if there's any chance Ireland might one day rejoin the Commonwealth. Good question. Um, I'm going to take... Oh, my God, this is impossible. Um, the gentleman at the back. We only have literally five minutes because the lecture is about to start here, so I'm going to have to the, curtail in, this. In the last year, the economic context has shifted with EU growth flatlining um, at much lower than projected. IMF has changed its assessment of the, of the benefit of increasing spend in the short term, especially investment. Um, in the UK, there have been shifts in the um, programme and there have been talk inside and outside the government parties for much bigger shifts. Have you shifted in the last year and are you planning to consider that in, over the, uh, 2013 to help achieve your uh, jobs uh, um, priority? Did you get that question? Well, it, 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 sorry, the consideration is more expenditure. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I'm saying that given that the um, growth in the EU mm -hmm. has stopped, yeah. which is important for an export-oriented economy like Ireland, and that the IMF has now assessed that the multipliers on investment are now much higher, so the benefits of short-term boosts on investment in mm -hmm. the present situation are much better. And the commentators yeah. generally are saying that it would make sense to do so. And I'm asking whether Ireland will consider doing that, given its uh, unemployment situation. 
Yeah, but I, 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 without yeah. interrupting the, the Taoiseach, I just simply say that he has already said that Ireland is sticking to its obligations in regard to reduction of expenditure, so I suppose that's relevant to it. But we'll, we'll take answers to those. Yeah, it's a balance there. here. We, we, we have our target, 3% 2015, we're going to stick to that. Uh, clearly, permissory notes, the discussions that are taking place with the Ministers of Finance uh, uh, are, are important in that sense. But we've, we've improved the position insofar as... Um, investment potential from the EIB, the Urban Investment Bank, and the leveraging up of other, uh, of other monies for investment in important uh, elements of infrastructure where jobs can be created is also important. But the bottom line is we're sticking to our target to get out of this and deal with it comprehensively. As an example of what a country can do where people and government actually work together, challenging though it is, but as an example to others in the Union, uh, in the union as well, Commonwealth Day, I know it's Commonwealth Day, uh, we've, had, we've been able to avail of the, of the uh, access to Commonwealth offices in the past. I don't see Ireland joining the Commonwealth uh, in, 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 in the future. We're a member of the Union and the Eurozone, very close relations here with, um, with, uh, with Britain, uh, and any access, I must say, that we've ever, ever requested uh, from a Commonwealth office has been readily, has been readily given. Um, the European Parliament uh, making their decision um, and groups within the Parliament rejecting the budget. There will be a, a vote next week. I expect that's going to be negative. But that, if you like, is an important um, statement by the Parliament. But Martin Schulz has confirmed to me that even though the, even though the, the, um, the result might be negative, the doors are wide open for negotiation. Uh, the European Parliament will always need a compromise, will always need a decision, and it's important for those politicians in their own countries that the decision be made to finalise this and that the budget be put in place, particularly for the youth uh, employment, the six billion that's in there, and the reform of the other is important for those politicians contesting elections next year, irrespective of the groups that they, that they, um, that they, uh, that they represent. How can it be done in Ireland in terms, of, uh, in terms of austerity, call it fiscal correction, call it fiscal discipline, if you like? Um, what, what's required here is a sense of pragmatism, of credibility, but of belief. And that means that it's a, it's, a, it's a demonstration of government. You don't always get this right every time because no prime minister uh, in, in Ireland has ever faced the scale of economic challenge that my government has had to face, none of them. Um, but we've beaten adversity in the past, and we've beaten it because of our pragmatism, in that if there's a problem there, define what the problem is, look at the scale of it, what's your strategy and your plan to deal with it, and get on with it. As people say to me on the streets, despite the wall of cynicism that you might meet occasionally, or regularly, or constantly, they say, <laughs> keep at this. Your job and your mandate given by the people is to sort it out. And they certainly won't thank us in three years' time if you report back and say the situation is worse than ever because I was afraid to do what needed to be done and the people always know and the people are never wrong. Well, I'm... <clears throat> I have to bring this session to a conclusion. In doing so, let me make uh, two points. First of all, thank you very much, Tishik, for giving your time and answering so willingly the questions that have been put to you. Thank you to the audience for participating. I apologize for being unable to take a lot of the questions. I know how many of you wanted to ask them. Um, finally, I would like to present the Taoiseach with the certificate of his visit here, and I would ask you all to remain seated until the Taoiseach leaves the room. Taoiseach, thank you very thank much you. indeed.
Thanks.